welcome to Chasing Eerie, a horror podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Gray. Together, we'll discover the darkest and most twisted movies, books, and games. Every Friday, we'll have a rated review, discuss interesting goings-on in the horror community, and we'll cap off the episode with a chilling new tale. So grab your silver bullets and your sacrificial daggers. Let's get going. Ashley, and welcome to this week's episode of Chasing Eerie. This week's rated review is a horror movie from 2016, and it stars Lulu Wilson. Then, for the Horror Hunter Community Cork Board, I've got a few things I want to talk to you about. An unexpected remake is set to come out this year. There is also a new artist on Instagram who is killing it, and I can't wait to talk to you about them. And I have also jumped down a delicious rabbit hole that I am in dire need of others to join me. It's been an awesome ride, and I must share. (laughs) Then we'll end on a spooky note with our weekly creepy tale. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's rated review of Ouija Origin of Evil. Origin of Evil came out in 2016. How I missed this movie when it came out, I'm not 100% sure. But it might have had to do something with another Ouija movie that came out around the same time. I did not care for it. I found this one on Amazon to buy for $7 for the standard edition, which I thought was pretty cheap. The movie stars one of my favorite younger actresses, Lulu Wilson, as Doris. She plays in Annabelle Creation, as well as The Haunting of Hill House. She was the young version of Shirley, which, coincidentally, the elder Shirley was played by Elizabeth Reeser, who plays her mother, Alice, in Ouija Origin of Evil. Doris also has an older sister, Lena, played by Annalise Basso. She played younger Kaylee in Oculus. There's also a priest in the movie who is played by Henry Thomas, and he played the young Hugh Crane in The Haunting of Hill House, which then led me down a rabbit hole, and now I know Henry Thomas was Elliot in E.T. Who knew? Anyway, I digress. Now that I've almost turned Ouija into the Kevin Bacon game, I'll tell you about the movie. It's set in 1967 in L.A. A family of three live in a house they shared as a family with their dad who passed away. Trying to get by, the mother has enlisted her two daughters, Lena and Doris, to be part of a scam seance business run out of their home. Alice's mother was said to have gifts of being able to hear ghosts, and she did readings, tarot cards, and whatnot. After Alice discovers the Ouija board at a local store, she thinks it could add a bit of spice to her scam. Her and her daughters were not prepared for the evil presence that would rain down on them. Let's dig into our five categories so we can give this movie an official rating. The categories are rated out of five for quality, premise, characters, scare factor, ending, and one point bonus for rewatchability. I'm giving the quality category a five out of five. The film quality is good. No complaints there. The writing is fantastic. I love when conversations are natural and they seem to match what the character would actually say or do. The atmosphere was dark and creepy. It's pretty typical of a horror movie. You get to see how a family is day to day before anything crazy starts to go down. It's a good way to see such a dramatic shift from normal daily life to possessed riddled houses. 
The camera work was good. There were angles that were used in such a unique way as to not let the scare just jump out at you. You kind of have to find it. And I am definitely here for that jazz. For premise, I give this movie a 5 out of 5. Doris is the one who is tormented by these new quote-unquote friends she meets after she attempts to contact her father. When she believes her dad has helped her find something in the home, she's convinced she's talking to him. Unfortunately, it's not her father who decides to communicate. One night, Doris tries to contact her dad again and starts to see things out of the corner of her eye. When she's taken over by a sinister being, that's when things get real. I enjoy a possession movie. They scare the crap out of me. And I'm also a pansy when it comes to things moving in a way they should not be moving, which this movie has a decent amount of. Alice and her daughter Lena enlist the help of the priest at the girls' school. While this is all grounds for 5 out of 5, what I really enjoyed was that I didn't guess the little twists and turns in the movie. That alone should at least give a 4, but with all the little additions, it's certainly a 5. I'm giving characters a 4 out of 5. By now, you know that I love the leading ladies. Doris is phenomenally played by Lulu Wilson, who is spectacularly terrifying. There is a scene that gets me every time I watch this movie. Doris is trying to scare Lena's boyfriend away. She tells him what it feels like to die. In very graphic detail. (laughs) All while having this adorable Disney princess face staring at him. This scene is literally chilling. And Lena, she's played by Annalise Basso. She was great. Her character was the dismissive, constantly annoyed older sister turned caring, concerned sister when she realized what was happening. I found her to be resourceful and actually helpful. I mean, there are several movies where the siblings are incredibly useless, if not actively making things worse, which I found refreshing. Um, The mother, she was pretty badass too. Once she realized what was going on, she did everything she could possibly do to help save her family and her house. And really, that's all that you can ask for. (laughs) The only reason I am knocking off a point is for the boyfriend. He was played by Parker Mack, and to be honest, I can't really even pinpoint what it is about him that I didn't like. He just seemed so fake, and I can't tell if that was a character choice or if it was the actor, and maybe he was just up against some really strong actresses. I don't know. He just, he wasn't for me. A 5 out of 5 for Scare Factor for me. I think this may be our first one to get a 5 out of 5 here. I found the scares to be fantastic. There are a few jump scares very well done. Then there's those slow burn scares that you find after you've been side-eyeing the dark corner in the background. I love those. And there's the atmosphere over the whole movie that really brings it together. I was impressed. And then there were a few scares that I could see coming a mile away, but overall, I was captivated by it all. I also enjoy when the movie leaves you feeling a bit creeped out long after the credits roll. That's my jam. For ending, I gave it a 5 out of 5. I loved the ending. I wasn't quite sure where things were going after the climax of the movie, but I enjoyed the resolution. It was a very rich background. It was unique and plausible, and I think even that small backstory could have made a very interesting movie all on its own. Even if it did leave me feeling unnerved. 
Each character had a good story and a thought-out ending. I really think this is where the writing shines, and I wasn't able to guess what was going to happen, so that's an added bonus. Speaking of bonuses, I have awarded the rewatchability point, seeing as I have watched this for the third time to date, and I love having a good movie to add to my list of favorites. For my favorite part, I have two I'd like to mention. One is the scene I talked about with Doris and the boyfriend. That one is scary. But I also love a scene where a woman is getting a reading done with Doris and her mother. When Doris turns to the lady, starts speaking, and midway through a short sentence, another person's voice comes out. It's so good! (laughs) I love it! And I would for sure recommend this movie to anyone. Even if you're not as interested in the possession movies, the background and the acting is amazing. You don't want to miss watching this one. So this tallies up for 5 for quality and premise, 4 for characters, and 5 for scare factor and ending, with a 1 point rewatchability bonus. That gives us an official Chasing Eerie rating of 5 out of 5 for Ouija Origin of Evil. Moving right along into this week's Horror Hunter Community Corkboard, I was made aware that there is a Resident Evil remake happening. What is going on? (laughs) Are remakes happening every 10 years now? Is that enough time? I mean, the last movie, The Final Chapter, just came out in 2016. We need to circle back to this question sometime. I am both outraged and not so secretly excited about the remake, While I liked the original Resident Evil, I feel like they could have done so much more. I mean, as a big fan of the video games, I am, I'm sure it would be impossible to please all the gamers and the moviegoers at the same time. I get it. Um, For me, I was drawn in by the zombies, but the games took a hard left turn at some point after the second game. But they were still a whole lot of fun to play. Um, The new reboot is supposed to be set in 1998 way back in the late 1900s, this was going to be an origin story on a night like no other in Raccoon City. Classic game characters are making appearances like Claire Redfield, Jill Valentine, Chris Redfield, Albert Wesker, and Leon Kennedy. If you're unfamiliar with the games, I'm certain they're going to make it so it's not necessary to have played, but the games are fun. And I know Steam, the online gaming store, I noticed that there's a reboot of Resident Evil 2, which I may have to partake. I loved that one. But I will be curious if you guys are excited or not about the new RE on the blog. You'll have to let me know what you think. Now, I have been following this user, Emmy Boz, and she's on Instagram, and it's spelled E-M-I underscore B-O-Z. She's an artist on Instagram that I love seeing her work come up on my feed. She does incredibly creepy versions of cartoon characters. If they were to go rogue and possibly want to steal your soul, you know, the normal. There is one in particular that I think is just so cool. It is a drawing of Coraline from Neil Gaiman's book. She also has one of Wednesday Adams and Lydia from Beetlejuice. They're sitting under this dark tree. If you like artwork at all, I would highly recommend you check her out. She's amazing. And as for the rabbit hole I've promised, I have found myself thoroughly immersed in horror movie shorts. Many of you may be familiar with horror movie shorts or just movie shorts in general. However, I only came across them a couple years ago. 
But being on Instagram, I'm seeing a lot more actors and special effects artists, and now these shorts are just all over the place. So I headed to YouTube, where I've lost dozens of hours looking for good horror movie shorts, and I have three that I will recommend you check out, and they're all on YouTube, but I encourage you just to go on YouTube and search for horror shorts. There are so many of them out there. They typically range from about 5 to 15 minutes, uh, but they pack so much good stuff in there. So the first one is called The Cop Cam, posted by No Sleep. This is actually the first horror short I have ever seen. I originally saw this a couple years ago, and I didn't really get the short films thing, but I watched it and I was legitimately freaked out. I love a good found footage movie. The cop goes into a house after getting a call from dispatch. What he finds? Well, I'll let you discover that one. <laughs> the second one is called Box Fort by Tyler Tchaikowski. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure I've butchered his name. Sorry if that's the case. But his movie short is fun. I love the whimsy of the box fort, but as you would expect in a horror movie, things don't go as planned and things definitely go bump in the night. So for the third one, this one's called Smiling Woman, posted by ACM Official. This one got me good. You guys know I don't like it when things don't move right, and when your smile is off, it's so creepy. I... I'm really impressed with how much they were able to put into a three-minute movie. I am now in love with finding good horror shorts. I'll link these in the show notes and in the episode blog on the website. But if you have any recommendations, I would love to know. Let me know on social media or on the blog. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. And then lastly, I want to shout out our two winners for our New Year's Eve Super Horror Trivia Game on Instagram and Facebook. That was hosted on New Year's Eve. And Everett McNair, who is our reigning champ for the Friday trivia games, he has possibly won every game he's played. And I absolutely love that. And then our second winner, she goes by at Double Rapper with Cheese, aka Miss Jillian Darling. Congratulations, you guys, and thank you so much for playing. I love seeing you guys play and what you guys get wrong, because some of them I would not have guessed unless I looked it up. But I'll see you this Friday for our new game. That'll wrap up our horror community, Corkborn. If you would like your personal creepy tale or work of fiction read on the podcast, or if you have a movie, book, game recommendation, or if you just found something you'd like to share with the podcast, Head to ChasingEerie.com, and in the contacts page, you could submit your story or recommendation. There are categories for you to choose from so I can keep your messages organized. That way I can get to them quicker. Or if you want to email me directly, I am ChasingEerie at gmail.com. And now we'll move into our weekly creepy tale, House-Sitting Horror. When Natalie and Dylan's best friends, Sherry and Lon Knowles, asked them to house-sit while they're on vacation, they jumped at the chance. They hadn't had a vacation since their honeymoon three years ago. For two weeks, the couple would be watching over their friend's house, which was located up in the mountains of Colorado. They lived in Denver, a big city, and were both looking forward to the peace of the mountains. The early 20-somethings packed their bags and took the three-hour drive to their friend's place to get the rundown on what they needed to get done during their stay. 
Dylan pulled into the gas station in the small mountain town just an hour away from their destination. Since this was their last opportunity to get gas for a while, the couple filled the gas, grabbed some sodas and water, and a few snacks, and planned to do a grocery run the next day, as the small grocery store was just across the street. After turning down the wrong street and having to backtrack, Dylan and Natalie come to the wide, private dirt road about a quarter of a mile away from the Knoll's house. It was a curved road passing the pastures where they had a few cows on one side and a small family of alpacas on the other. They also had two horses, but they were in the back of the house in their stable, which butted up against the tree line of ponderosa pines, which bordered most of their property. They breathed in the fresh air and reveled in the serenity of the open space. As a matter of fact, there were no neighbors in view. The last time they had passed a house was 15 minutes ago. They pulled up to the large two-story farmhouse to be eagerly greeted by their friends waiting with their own packed bags on the wraparound porch. Don started packing up the trunk of his car with their bags as Sherry and Natalie went into the house. Dylan went to help Lon finish loading his car and the men followed inside. Sherry was holding a very detailed and lengthy document with a laminated cover. Natalie laughed to herself. This was very Sherry to be so prepared. The two couples moved to the back of the house, out to the stables to show where the food and water was kept. Then they all walked around to the cow's pasture in the front to show where the water sources were and to make sure the water was clean and filled. The same with the alpacas in their pasture. An hour later, they had completed the home maintenance checklist. The last thing was to show Dylan and Natalie where the dog food was stored. The Knolls had a small Australian cattle dog, Miley, always hyper and always loving. They loved their friend's dog. They had been friends since before they were married and knew their dog and home well, but had never stayed more than a weekend with them for holidays. Once all the chores were ran through, and Sherry was sure she went through everything, she and Lon left the spare house keys on the counter and left out for their vacation. Natalie and Dylan went to the car to grab their bags and their gas station haul before it got too dark to see their way. They came back inside and went up the stairs straight in front of the front door and up to the spare bedroom where they would be staying. This was on the second floor at the end of the hallway, passing the master bedroom, Lon's office, their workout room, and finally a bathroom and a spare bedroom. Unpacked and settled in, the couple made their way down to the kitchen to put away their gas station finds. They decided to lock up the house and let Miley out one last time before they headed up to their room for the night. The next morning, Natalie was up and filling water for the cows and then the alpacas, checked in on the horses, and then fed Miley. Miley was glued to her heels the whole morning, happily coming along for the tasks. When she came back inside around noon, Dylan was finished getting ready for the day. His first day to sleep in in so long, he couldn't remember the last time he did. Ready to go into town, he called to her as she met him in the living room just off of the kitchen. Sure, maybe we can go on a hike or two, maybe grab some dinner and then get groceries, she suggested. Way ahead of you, Dylan smiled while holding up his hiking backpack and two water bottles, both covered in outdoorsy stickers. The two climbed into their car and headed out for an adventurous fun day. 
The first hike they went on was close to the property. The trailhead was only two miles away. It took them an hour and a half to do an out-and-back trail. By 2.30, they were on their way to the second shorter hike, closer to the small town they stopped in the day before. Returning from their second hike after only 45 minutes, because they got lost and had to return to the car, neither of them were in the mood to correct course. They were both starving by the time they got into town. They had dinner at a small diner a few blocks past the gas station and the grocery store. Full and less moody, the couple made their way to the car. Natalie got in the passenger side and reached for her backpack and grabbed a piece of paper and a pen, ready to write down a quick grocery list on the way to the store. Dylan had just gotten behind the wheel when Natalie heard a timid knock on her window. Startled, she looked up to see a small, pale-skinned boy. He couldn't have been more than four or five. His eyes were studying his shoes as he asked, Can I partake in transport in your vehicle? Natalie noticed her door wasn't locked, but Dylan again was already ahead of her. She heard all the doors lock. Natalie turned to Dylan, who was obviously weirded out by the boy's odd speaking pattern, and questioned too. She turned back to look out her window, and the boy was gone. They both glanced around the front of the car and the sides. No little boy. Well, that was weird, Natalie stated first. No shit, Dylan replied. He turned on some music to get them back into vacation mode for their drive to the grocery store. As he put the car in drive, Dylan checked the rearview mirror to see the boy standing just behind the trunk of the car, staring in at them. But his head was in shadow, so he couldn't see his face. Goosebumps bloomed over his arms. He opened his mouth to tell Natalie, but decided last minute he didn't want to freak her out. With grocery list in hand, Natalie led the way into the store, and the two bumbled around looking for their list for just over half an hour. They made their way back to the car with all groceries in hand. When they get to the car, the same small boy was standing by the back passenger door. Dylan motions for Natalie to go around the driver's side door and slide into the passenger seat. Dylan, still several feet away, calls out to the boy. Hey there. Are you lost? Maybe we can call your parents for you? The boy replied, Can I have a ride in your transportation? My parent will be most worried. He spoke in such a matter-of-fact tone, but the words seemed almost rehearsed. But they were wrong. They were wrong words. It was like he was speaking from another time. Dylan noticed he was dressed in very vintage clothes, muted colors, mostly black and gray but the boy's gaze remained at his toes. Out of the corner of his eye, Dylan noticed someone moved on the other side of the car. There was a heavier knock than before on the driver's window. Natalie, who was watching Dylan and the boy intently, looked over to the driver's side, where another young boy stood. The boy was about eleven, also dressed in old clothes, and the same downcast stare. This boy took hold of the driver's door handle and attempted to open it. Natalie was glad she had locked it when she got in. The older boy said, We need a ride. Our parentals will be oh so mad at us. Dylan, who was watching the older boy attempt to get into the car, ran around to get in between him and the door. 
When he got in front of him, he noticed the younger one was already standing there beside him. You guys need to get out of here. If you need help, go into the grocery store and ask someone there to use their phone. But we can't give you a ride. Sorry. Dylan said firmly as he hit the unlocked driver door button on his car key. He got in and closed the door. But not before he heard the older boy say, Maybe later. No question was inferred. It was more of a statement, which sent another course of chills down Dylan's arms. What the fuck did that mean, Natalie questioned. Terror marbled in her voice. I don't know. They must be some kids trying to mess with tourists or something. They both thought about this for a minute and then burst into chuckles. I mean, what else do they have to do around here, Dylan laughed. The tension and creepy factor had vanished from the car, and once again, Dylan turned up the music for their long ride back to the house. They talked about what they wanted to do the next day as they brought their groceries into the kitchen. It would be Natalie's turn to sleep in tomorrow, and she was looking forward to that. The duo had grabbed one of the wine bottles they had gotten at the store and some glasses and were ready to relax and watch some TV. A binge of four episodes of The Walking Dead and most of a bottle of wine later, it was just after 3 a.m. when a knock came on the front door. Knock, knock, knock. Steady, loud knocks. Dylan jolted awake, and in doing so, Natalie too awoke, realizing they had both fallen asleep on the couch. Still trying to get their bearings, both jumped with the second set of knocks that came. Knock, knock, knock. Exactly the same as the first time. We know you're home, the familiar older boy's voice mocked from the porch. Dylan and Natalie froze, staring at each other, searching for an explanation, or a reason, or really anything at all. They both walked towards the front door, Miley growling. Let us in, the voice called again. This time it was deeper and more menacing. They're just kids, Dylan said, annoyed. He unlocked the front door, swung open the door, and pushed the kids back with his body, closing the door behind him. Natalie watched from the window to the side of the door. You can't come in. You need to go home, she heard Dylan demand. Then she noticed in the pasture, in the dark, there was another child, out in the field by the cows. But it wasn't the younger boy they encountered earlier. She looked around to the alpaca side, two more children, girls, it seemed like. Then several things happened at once. The cows in the pasture started crying, the alpacas were making their discomfort known, and then an unnerving scream from the horses out in the back. Miley started crying and piddled right there on the floor, and then bolted up the stairs. Natalie turned to look out of the back door, which she had a clear line of sight. Four other children— one boy, three girls. She ran to the back door to make sure it was locked. It was a big, sliding glass door, and the children watched her in unison. This time the children were looking her dead in the eye. Natalie gasped with horror at the sight. All of them had the darkest of eyes. No iris, no sclera, just void of any light. She had never seen such darkness before. All of them had the same old clothes from centuries prior. Then she heard the worst of the screams yet. Dylan's. 
She turned and ran back to the front door to find Dylan slamming the door shut and locking it. What happened? Natalie shrieked. Dylan still catching his breath and trying to wrap his head around what was happening. He pulled his forearms up to his chest to show two burns just above the wrists. They were shaped like child-sized handprints. You need to let us in now, yelled the voice in a much deeper tone, certainly not one of a child. My parents are here, and you have to let us in right now. The doorknob moved, and the door shook violently in the door jamb. Pounding came from the back door. Natalie glanced outside to see if it was an adult maybe now at the door, but no one was there. She scanned the pastures. No one there either. She turned to look at the back door. The kids were gone. They regrouped in the kitchen, Natalie tending to the burn wounds on Dylan's arms while holding back tears while Dylan was still trying to get his breathing regulated. They went up to the second floor and check out all of the windows in each of the rooms. They couldn't see far since it was still too dark, but there were no kids or anyone else on the property. They took Miley and went into their bedroom and locked the door. Dylan said he would keep first watch until morning. Natalie laid on the bed. She was out in seconds. Then she was awoken by a cold breeze and bright morning sunlight. She sat up and noticed the window was wide open. She looked to the bedroom door. It, too, was wide open. And no Dylan. Natalie got out of bed and went to find him. Dylan, she called, concerned. Where are you? She moved down the hallway to the stairs, noticing all the windows in each room were open. She walked downstairs to find Dylan, standing in the frame of the open front door, his back to her. Noticing all the windows on the first floor were open, as well as the back door. She asked cautiously, Why did you open the windows and the doors? She moved toward him to see his face. In a dazed and robotic voice, he said, To let them in. She moved in front of him to see he was covered with burned-in handprints. Oh my god, she yelled, almost screaming. She pawed at him, scanning him from his face to his legs. Dylan came out of his daze incredibly disoriented. What happened? he said calmly. Natalie pulled his face to hers, trying to get him to focus on her. Where are they? Who? Dylan still coming out of his fog. Natalie questioned him as she started closing the windows in the front door. Dylan sat on the stairs watching her. When she came back to him, he was much more clear-headed. He said he had felt like someone was making him open the doors and the windows. Like he couldn't stop. He was almost watching a movie. After checking the whole house and locking and closing the doors, the two went to all the animals to check on them gave Miley some extra food, and from the packed-up car with the house in the rear-view mirror, Natalie called Sherry. Natalie started telling her about the boys in the parking lot, talked about their eyes, and that they tried to get into their car first. To her surprise, Sherry was more understanding than she would have thought. She figured Sherry would be calling her crazy and laughing at her. When Natalie got to talking about the house, Sherry said that these were what the town called the black-eyed children. They bring all kinds of darkness wherever they go. Horrible fates follow whoever they touch. 
As long as you don't let them in, you'll be fine. When Sherry didn't hear an immediate reply to reassure her that they didn't let anyone into the house, she asked terrified, You didn't let them in, did you? That'll be a big note for me on the black-eyed children. That is not my jam. <laughs> That'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you're feeling generous, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe so that other horror hunters can find us too. And if you hang out on social media, I'd love to see you there. You can find me at Chasing Eerie on Instagram and Facebook. I have spooky daily posts, quick creepy pastas, and fun trivia games on Fridays. It's really becoming an amazing community, and I'd love for you to join us. And until next week, keep chasing eerie.